0: Hello there. I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. This is season two of Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within the intersections that exist in fat liberation.
1: In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer and more welcoming place for those living in larger bodies and those historically marginalized who should be centered, listened to, and supported.
0: Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive
1: to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-host and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In
0: addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or depth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse.
1: We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode.
0: Hello there to you lovely listeners and welcome to the 10th episode and penultimate interview of our second season of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. On today's episode, we have Kimber Stevenson, she, her, here to plant seeds and explore conversation about embodiment for real people in
1: real life. Kimber Stevenson is a registered dietitian nutritionist living and working in Colorado. Her experience began with a love of food, which led her to pursue a degree in culinary arts from Johnson and Wales University. As her love of science and helping people wove with that initial path, she continued on to a Bachelor of Science in Culinary Nutrition with a dual concentration in clinical dietetics and culinary food science. From there, her background spanned diverse roles across the food, nutrition, and healthcare sectors as she went on to ground in medical nutrition therapy.
0: Kimber is especially passionate about disordered eating management and prevention. In this vein, she focuses on educating clients about the multifaceted ways history, marketing, food systems, culture, psychology, and body image affect health and relationships to nutrition, food, and body. She works with clients to restore and build their relationship with food, acknowledging not only its nourishing properties, but truly embracing its comforts, tradition, and fun. Kimber is a strong believer in a whole person approach, embracing integrated body image counseling, which often goes far deeper than simply body or image.
1: Working in a client guided manner and health at every size informed, she strives to help each unique person reach their idea of peace and satisfaction in their bodies and their overall lives. Kimber's driving philosophy is that all people deserve equitable access to quality food, evidence-based nutrition education, informed consent, and bodily autonomy, regardless of status or background.
0: You can find links to Kimber's social media in this episode's show notes. Thank you so much for being here, listening, and holding space with us, dear listeners. And now for today's episode.
1: Our second season keeps going with Kimber Stevenson, she, her, who is joining us from the greater Denver area in Colorado. Kimber and I are involved in a weight inclusive toolkit together and her perspective stuck out immediately and I knew we wanted her on the podcast. Let's get started.
2: How are you doing today, Kimber? Oh, I'm doing so well and I'm so excited to be chatting with
0: you both. <sighs> we are Yay. so excited. So excited. I've only heard good things from Jordan and I'm so excited to get to know you a little bit today. <laughs>
2: you know what I love already I feel like y'all are both really enthusiastic people and it's standing up to me because I'm like is that rare that I'm like around people who are excited visibly
1: (laughs) we are very excited and excitable wouldn't you say yes I would I would
0: definitely say that (laughs) absolutely we're always up here
1: (laughs) well actually not always but often so most of the time that's correct yes (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks for being with us in this chipper, excited and excitable space about serious things too. We can, we can hold this and serious things. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Great. Thank you. As we start this conversation about being present with and within our bodies, I'd love to start with asking you our usual centering question about the themes of our podcast and how they occur to you. Can you share with us what embodiment means to you and what has your embodiment journey been like? If you would like to share
2: yeah, um, well, I feel like for me, embodiment is such a wonderfully complex concept because I think it's almost trying to like find language for something that maybe used to be intuitive for more of us. Mm-hmm. So we often, I think hear about this concept in our work of like body image or relationship, or I'll often be talking to someone about like you and your body like separate entities. Um, and when you think about it, You know, that's something that I hadn't had language for or thought about really until I got into the eating disorder space because I and I don't know if this is like also probably cultural things, but most people just say like I or me. um, I think when you're not repairing a relationship with your body. And so for me, I think embodiment is kind of being one with yourself in that way and feeling not like they're separate not like you're like a brain in a little booth looking out in your vessel but more so that you just are um and so my journey with embodiment has been um I don't know I don't know if I really necessarily had to have a journey if I think of it from that perspective um But one thing I think that has been really important is starting to bring more like body respect and awareness to my body as I started to do this work is very much having to think about it. Um, And so, yeah, I think I've been through a lot of different relationships with my body. But one thing I noticed for myself is it's never necessarily been like a knot of negative self-talk or unkindness towards my body. And so the times when I feel most... Disembodied for me, I think are times when I'm not comfortable with what's going on in my brain and you just don't know how to like direct that. Um yeah. So it's it's interesting that that concept of having not necessarily felt like I had to have a journey, but understanding it from a different perspective.
1: Mm. Sorry, I'm like <laughs> furiously writing down notes. No, this is good. I, this is good. Um When you were talking about, um, me and I language, Mm -hmm. um, and then you talked about being one with yourself. I had a feeling and a thought at the same time, uh, like a sensation in my body, uh, a spark kind of feeling. I was like, ah, embodiment is we, Mm -hmm. um, as a way of saying a complete experience, They were talking about being aware of, Um, and I actually really love that um, because, alongside putting, you said putting words to something that was just intuitive or used to be intuitive. I think was what you said, Um, and I thought in an intuitive we, and I'm just kind of sitting with that. That's where I was like, I'm writing this down because I am. I don't know that I processed it yet, but I was just sitting with. An intuitive we. Um, in thinking of the purpose of body as relationship, uh, right relationship, what might feel supportive. I love this intuitive we. It's some I really want to like think about that and sit with that from what you said. It was it was really lovely. Hmm.
2: Well, as you like mentioned that, I think of embodiment right as a noun, but it's originating in a verb to embody. Mm-hmm. And so I picture like almost a cartoon soul going into a body. And of course, mm-hmm. if you are inhabiting a new body, you'd have to get used to that and have a relationship with that. And so that's when I think of embodiment, like as part of a healing process mm-hmm. that you might not necessarily always need if you don't, if you haven't had that severance, um, yes. Because and I started to notice too. So I grew up in a Jamaican household and I've never heard my mom or my grandma say my body or like me in my body. And so that's why it was kind of a new concept mm. to me. Because I'm like, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it like that. Um you just say I. And so even the we that you're describing, Jen, I think is when that that reembodiment comes together, when that soul starts.
1: Of re inhabit in a way that's more peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Wow. I love that. I love soul. that. I, first of all, I love you have, I've, this is already, this is like when I'm like, she's been on the podcast. You're the way that you <laughs> sit with the language of yourself and other people and find a centering place there is really incredible to my brain. Mm-hmm. It's hard for my brain. To sit in that place. I'm like, we up here with lots of words. And I just love the the groundedness and the centeredness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like in thinking of our different experiences, I was also feeling extremely related to you in what you were saying anyway. And I think that's very a special thing about being re-embodied, as you said, that it's like, yeah. ah, there's like some kind of straight, invisible string tether uh, that just shows up right away. So I was feeling that I still am, I have chills. So I was, I'm just still feeling that.
0: Yeah. What's really sitting with me is this, it always makes me want to ask people like, can you share your re-embodiment journey? Like acknowledging that there was this time where it wasn't even a conversation for you, just were embodied. It makes me think of, you know, my toddlers, um, they're as embodied as humanly possible. And that, like you said, there's the severance. Mm-hmm. So it's a re-embodiment process rather than an embodiment process. That's really powerful. You yeah. mm. it feels like a return, right? Like it's kind of Sankofa, you're returning to what, you know, um, what it was before. That feels really, that feels really powerful. For me, it feels really supportive, I guess is the right term. And that it's not something I have to like create again. It's just something I have to find again. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wow. Mm
2: like coming wow.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. And that strikes me as like beautiful Siobhan and beautiful Kimber. I'm like closing my eyes for people who can't mm. see my face and thinking about this, that I was just in this distinction that you're both talking about. It's like the difference between let it go and let it be mm. like the return you get to be right. You don't have to like act like you don't have to put so much effort into that um, Mm -hmm. with that acknowledgement, um, versus let it go. It's like, let's slough off all the things that keep us from our embodiment and see what's left is such an energetic and exhausting. And I'm also thinking very strongly of the word burnout here, way of looking at Mm -hmm. that and Mm -hmm. just sitting with, I mean, I have like constant chills, Kimber from everything that you've said so far in this whole like conversation, Mm -hmm. like all the way up my legs. I never have them on my legs, like head to toe because just the opportunity to see it as like letting yourself be letting yourself come home, letting yourself be home um I think I really needed that permission actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm finding a lot of permission in that. so I'm really it's yeah. just beautiful to me. That's like mm-hmm. the, the strongest thought in my head right now is was like beautiful. that's <laughs> like all I can think about. So I just <laughs> awesome. It's really
0: powerful. Thank you. I really needed to hear that myself too. Yeah. I feel a bit emotional as I'm thinking about like, Me too. Coming home. I'm like, okay, so this is the first question. So I'm going to kind of bring it back, but <laughs> I'm not, a, you know, I can keep it together for the rest of it, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting really a little emotional. misty. Yeah. I'm feeling really emotional about this coming home piece mm. because it's so hard when you aren't feeling embodied to feel at home. So this is really, this is really mm. beautiful for lack of a better term. I'll say what Jen said. It's really beautiful.
2: Mm -hmm. and what's coming up for me as y'all describe that and i don't know how formed this thought is going to be but it's this idea of inevitability that i think keeps us stuck like that it's always been this way that there is no other way and that's why i think Mm -hmm. looking outside of ourselves even culturally can be so valuable because even that concept of thinking like was there a time when i didn't think of myself and my body as separate entities Mm -hmm is really important in terms of coming home because yeah, I think we get lost in looking ahead and we're on the offensive, gen like you said. Of okay, how do we take these obstacles that block us from embodiment? But I rarely hear like how do I actually dive into being? Like how do I close the circle?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Rather than oh like-
1: shit, yes, okay. <laughs> um, so now my brain's going rapid fire. So I've gone from beautiful yeah. to like. Never ending thoughts, and mm-hmm. I'll try to summarize them if I can. Um, inaction is an action, right? Just like just being, it's actually an action.
0: Yeah. Like
1: choosing not to do something is an action. Mm-hmm. Um, and just now you were talking about all the context that's like without us, as in not inside of us, but without like exterior to us. And then I was just sitting with self as context as well not content like that peeling away layers. Let's get rid of stuff. I was like, Oh, that self is content. No wonder it's so exhausting. I'm like trying to find the content that's perfectly designed so that I can go in there and find it. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a therapy topic for me and my therapist. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a lot of us, um,
2: and even when you said earlier, like my legs are feeling chills, I thought that was a great example because how often do we go like me and my legs are going to the store versus I am going to the store.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: There are ways to, like talk about our bodies that are acknowledging mm. the this mm. entity of them,
1: but it, it just doesn't, you know, it's not the same. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. Mm-hmm. There's Mm -hmm. something so important about naming, and I'm hearing in what you're saying that there's something is so important about naming clearly what is happening um, so that we can get present to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't feel my legs very often. You, like, picked up on that really, really quick. (laughs) I don't feel my legs very often i really i genuinely don't so it was very interesting to me that it was showing up on my legs so like i could see the goosebumps and i could feel them as well and so that's really picked up on that extremely well yes oh that just tipped something off for me i wonder if that's a place where
2: you're most embodied that you can learn from
1: whoa wait tell 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 me tell us more about that <laughs> tell us more. yeah please because i'm really so- interested
2: Yeah. Well, you don't feel your legs because you're just like living (laughs) your legs. Like they're not, I'm just, you have legs.
1: Oh, my analytical brain is like, oh, shucks. (laughs) 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 Okay. Thank you. Yes. Okay, I'm going to sit in that. I'm going to marinate in that for a while. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, And speaking of like the context inside and out of us, um, we make sure that we talk about this in the situation we're all in right now in 2022 in this pandemic as a human being how has this pandemic affected your embodiment, your re-embodiment? I'm going to take that on immediately. Um, Practices Mm. (laughs) in ways that challenge your process. Has there been anything that feels like it connects you further and what lights you up about your work and when are you feeling most embodied? A lot lot of questions in one, which is a (laughs) typical question for me. So there you go. I was
0: gonna say not just you. It's always it's just like Jesus. run on, like, and five minutes later a question mark.
1: <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love it. I could also explain further. I will not. But I like can also have the habit of being like and for each one of those. Let's talk about those.
2: so. God. God. Ooh, I love it. They're all connected. I feel like yeah, I. Am they are. <laughs> it's really eye-opening when I go to write like a message and I see, wow, this is how I talk. It's just one big <laughs> run-on sentence in my life. <laughs> um, well, I guess to address the first part, the pandemic, I think is one thing that really brought a lot more awareness to the concept of embodiment for me, um, because I started to notice that the isolation was something that just really gets in the way and something that was really disconnecting. And so for me, the pandemic happened about like six months after I'd just gotten out of a long relationship pretty unexpectedly. Um, mm. And so it was a lot of things that I think I would have been exploring for myself um, in a really different context in a world where I could have had more options to like get Mm. out and be out there. And so the isolation felt really layered in that way. And I was also just starting um, my outpatient eating disorder practice work. And so I think that's actually probably been a time in my recent history where I felt most like disconnected or disembodied. Um one because I was so focused on like all the other people that I was trying to learn with and learn from um and two because once that laptop screen closed it was just a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, comfortable silence and stillness and Mm. so when I think about how things started to go I, I know that in disembodiment there I was probably running from myself and my brain a lot um and I think that's the thing that pulls you out of your body is when you're like, I'm going to cope, you know, um, either by sleeping a lot mm-hmm. or never trying to be home. I used to have this like itch where as soon as my last client was done for the day, like I felt like I had to close my laptop immediately or cover the lens. Cause I was just like, I feel so antsy to like get away and to like run from all of this and so I think that was a really big challenge that I'm still healing from because of course like every challenge you don't necessarily notice it until <laughs> like a little ways down the line but now having a lot of perspective about just how differently things were then versus now for me I can see how that was a time of, of severance between me and my body and my life um and I'll pause there before going on to the next question just give y'all opportunity.
1: Mm. A time of severance. I was already sitting with severance from what you said before. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my brain has been processing that. And then now thinking of the pandemic, major life change, grief, work, uh, especially body grief in this Mm -hmm. context. Um, And what can, what can show up for us in completely different ways in a, in a quote unquote time of severance, like you just said. Mm -hmm. All I really have to say about that is wow, but that's really yeah. sitting with me. Um as like I want to think more about that. I want mm-hmm. to connect more with that. It almost feels like a way that people socialized as female are not allowed to be angry because it's pers- or if we add other layers, right? Being black, being fat, mm-hmm. not allowed to be um angry, right? We're aggressive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and changing the language of that. Thank you to my own therapist for this as assertive, right? It's Mm -hmm. just speaking out of your mouth at other people, that's it. That's all that's happening. Um, and as I was just sitting with this, um, a time of severance really feels like something and maybe other people can relate to this that I would like deny is happening Mm -hmm. as well as my own anger. So they're both just sitting in this place of wow, a time of severance, um, leaning into anger is actually an opportunity to be incredibly embodied, challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, you, I also heard yourself compassion directed Mm -hmm. at yourself, which is not Mm -hmm. my first instinct. I wish Mm -hmm. it was, (laughs) it is not, It is not Mm -hmm. ever. Um, but I was just really like kind of basking in that for you and just feeling really grateful that that's how you treated yourself in so many overlapping times of severances, right? It was all of these at once. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful is my word of the day so far. It's like what I'm using to describe a whole lot of internal sensations while listening to you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think I have to have compassion for myself because otherwise I wouldn't want to like live with that person. And I think that that's one part of the conversation that sometimes gets missed is we're not always severed or disembodied because we don't like how our body looks or feels. But for me, and I'll give an example, like this constant need to have like podcasts or movies on is one way that I could mm-hmm. get away from myself. Like at times, I think I was just bored. Like if you can imagine, you know, someone you're living with, it's like, I don't want to see you all the time. And mm-hmm. you're with the same person all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of what like severance showed up, how severance showed up for me is distraction and trying to just like get some space from myself because yeah, it can be, it can be tiring or boring and all of those kind of feelings that might not be so negative, but Mm -hmm. the compassion piece feels really important for just honoring that that was hard. And Mm -hmm. what would I tell anyone else, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I frame this to people and I I just say, you're not special. (laughs) Like, and I mean that nice. in a way that like you're not special in that you're less deserving of kindness or less deserving mm-hmm. of care or grace that you would give to a friend or probably someone who's not even your friend. You're mm-hmm. not
0: specially mm-hmm. different from them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. You're not special. I, I love that. <laughs> I actually really do. Yeah. I really fucking love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I love the idea of, we've talked about it a few times in other episodes, the idea of taking this step back. I don't want to say dissociating per se, but just severing right in a different way can be a form of embodiment. I know that what I need to be able to kind of um, come back to myself a little bit more quickly is to disconnect. That's a big, that's a form of embodiment for me is that I need to not be in connection with other people so I can come home to myself a little bit more quickly. So it sounds like you were doing that. Even if it felt like distraction, it sounds like you you were listening to what you needed in the moment. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I feel like that's mm-hmm. one of the hardest parts of embodiment is like
1: the awareness of what you need and, and mm-hmm. sometimes the fact that you don't
2: know.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and this is making me think of neurodivergence in general and my own neurodivergence uh, just now, Sean, you're talking about, like, taking the word that Kimber used, distraction, and, and what we might lay on top of that as meaning. I was just sitting there with, it's taking me a really long time to understand that my distraction is my emotional regulation, and it's, mm-hmm. like, vital to my emotional mm-hmm. well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt very seen and validated in what you both said. So thank you both.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
1: I like the
2: neutrality that you speak about that with Jen and Siobhan. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes we have these categories of like, that's a bad thing if you're trying to be distracted. And sometimes, like, that is one way of self care, especially Mm -hmm. neurodivergence. Like, it's exhausting sometimes to be in this brain. And so, sometimes distractions, like the kind of thing I do for myself, is like getting a babysitter, you know?
0: Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I love babysitters. i really like that That
1: wow yes oh that's such a gorgeous analogy um i was just actually while you were saying that what popped into my mind was the duolingo owl the duo like playing around in spanish on duolingo is is that's i did not have a word for that but yes it babysits my brain Huh. It gives it a task. Um, if I fill part of it out in the morning, it gives me some time limit, extra bonus thing in the afternoon. So I get these things in like time limits, and it's just like for these fifteen minutes, my brain is is taken care of. Um, and I, people around me who watch me do this are way more in tune about how helpful that is for me than I am. And again, I just feel seen. Babysitter. Mm.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool my brain really needs a babysitter. Yep. I just need a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: kidding,
0: I say that every day. It's like <laughs> <fun>. <laughs>
2: I feel like that is one other thing that feels really helpful for me in the relationship with my body is treating myself like I would a child um, as in terms of, like, the self-compassion aspect. And when I do that, I do feel like it's helpful um, yeah. because then I'm like, you want a puzzle? You want to play <laughs> something <laughs> want some, some apple trees? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's actually been really helpful. And it's a good learning experience because I feel like childhood is for a lot of us one of the last places we were more embodied. Um, so I always feel like that, that can be an outlet. Um, yeah. But in terms of the next part of the question, um, has there been anything that feels like it connects me? Oh, actually, that's kind of, yeah, really starting to that self compassion, I think connects me with embodiment um, and I, don't know, I think also just having space for the silly parts of life feels really connecting to me um, because especially just at the stage of my career that I was in, it was a lot of time straight of like what's next, what's next, what's next and so like getting out of college and internship and all of that stuff. When you're not having someone kind of direct you in a shoot Mm. towards the next thing, I feel like that's another space of feeling unsure, if not sometimes severed or just having that question of identity. Mm. And so what's been really helpful for connecting further is like discovering what is fun, you know, what Mm. is, what is lazy quote-unquote which again I don't think necessarily exists but like and then embracing those things like being excited for yourself when you stay in bed till 1 p.m is really fun oh. feeling think like, yeah. versus not and I think that those things are really helpful because it just again it's not about like me and my body it's just mm-hmm. like spent the day all in bed that was awesome mm. yeah.
0: and I believe the pandemic offered that in a lot of ways and that we're yes. We're forced, there's there's this forced severance, right? Or enforced if you're, you know, following what guidelines there were. That's a whole other mm. conversation. Enforced mm. severance makes you, for better or worse, sit and say, What feels good for me? What do I need if I can't leave my house? How do I feel at home in myself with myself? So it, it sounds like and you learned how to how to giggle at yourself, which is lovely. It's just lovely. <laughs> yeah, I love that.
1: Ooh, okay. So, (laughs) thinking thinking my thoughts are starting to coalesce. So thinking about the body as home and like really sitting in it as home while sitting in your home, right? I was yeah. just like, Okay. So let's think about double layered home. I'm not necessarily yeah. a home body or at least I didn't feel that way before the pandemic. And now I'm super comfortable being at home all the time. You know, I got those kinks work themselves out. No problem. Um, just with more experience. Yeah. And as you were talking about like, what feels fun, what feels silly, what feels childlike, Um, we're in a very serious situation. What a counterbalance to offer ourselves to be so layered. I'm at home in my body and my body is at home at home. And it's so serious about there. It's unexpected. We can't predict it. We don't have the control we think we do. We're in community with people who don't necessarily want to protect us. Um, More so in different areas um, and different levels of privilege as well to be able to have that multi-layered home has such depth to it. That's what was like really sitting for me. And I was like, Ooh, because I was like, Oh, I could actually feel the depth of that. It's actually only in my chest, but I could like feel it all the way down. there, like the whole thing. Um, and that feels, this is like the most embodied I've ever been in one of these conversations. And I'm so I can tell I'm feeling really safe and secure here. Um, I'm also, I, I can't even, find words to express how seen i feel so far by you kimber in in your recognition of yourself and it's beautiful authenticity and all of its vulnerability it's pulling that out of me like in really in i want to say delicious i don't know why, really delicious ways <laughs> i'm not sure like why delicious. that word occurred to me yeah <laughs> that's how it's feeling delicious is always good <laughs>
2: I love that. yeah. and as you said yeah. that, I was like that's such a great concept and I sometimes ask people, do you feel at home in your body? And the reality is maybe not everyone will. but even just this week I was at the beach for a little while and I had the sense of like mm-hmm. oh I feel at home and I, I think when you said like the different layers I'm like, oh maybe the feeling was like I'm at home in my body. Um, mm-hmm. you know that that home's not necessarily a place but mm-hmm. a sense of security.
0: Mm. All right. mm. oh that's good mm. that's really good mm-hmm. that's very nice mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel very, very home nice. the word that keeps coming to mind is homey oh, probably just because we're talking about home but I just felt very settled very homey right now
1: mm-hmm. settled <laughs> that's a great word for what I'm feeling yeah that's a rare shared space for me. Actually, mm-hmm. I have a lot of anxiety in the presence of other people, not with Siobhan and definitely not with you, Kimber. I mean, generally. Um, so this is same. feeling same very settled. That's mm-hmm. exactly it. Thank you for putting a word to that. I think that's what I mean by beautiful. Now that yeah. it's kind of hitting the same place in my body. Mm. 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 It's like
2: a I think of that, like, I don't know what it's called, like that tool that you can use in a toolbox where it's the little bubble goes in between the lines to like know something's level I think that's a level level. it's it's called a level it's a level I I didn't know either until she said it (laughs) (laughs) but I'm like yeah I feel like I'm kind of in that in that same zone too um and when you said like even the counterbalance of the of the pandemic that's probably why that felt Feels level mm. swing the other way because one thing I started to notice is there's a lot of shoulds that we're all you know leaning into and following that we don't necessarily realize. And I think of even like building my client. I was like, why well, should probably see people earlier in the day? And my boss was like, why? And I was like, because oh. dietitians are warning people. I don't know. And <laughs> 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 like, those shoulds. Don't answers they're normally just like and kind of invisible right and so I think that's the other thing that was really helpful is when I started to let go of the shoulds it was like well why the fuck not sleep in yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why not do these things that feel good so reducing the shoulds reduce the shame around yeah. a lot of that stuff that like would keep me stuck and feeling like something was off balance yeah. it's like well because you're not giving yourself the counterbalance you need
0: Ooh, ooh. I just love that word. Oh, I love that word.
1: And something you just said, (laughs) I just realized that I should all over myself when I ask myself why questions, because when Mm -hmm. you were like, well, why not? I was like, oh, am I doing that? When I say why I am like, I can, Mm -hmm. I call it curiosity, but I can be in an incredible amount of Mm hyper-focus. About the answer to a why question that I have mm. posed randomly for no reason, um, mm. can I offer a thought on that? Please. I
2: wonder if a better question to ask is how, and then what. Like, how are things really? What do I need? What do I want?
1: What sounds good? Mm. Mm. Not be a why. Mm-hmm. oh this is so interesting to me because if this is part of the thing we've already been talking about like supporting clients i have no problem coming up with these questions supporting myself um I feel blocked about these all the time um not per, not strongly blocked but like enough that i notice um and it's also like at the beginning of a client session the way a dietitian is trained to ask is like, to ask them to tell you why something, or or you're supposed to find out why something happened after they tell you the, all the what's right. What's been going on since the last session, even the question, like, how are you in your body today? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, right? A recommendation from intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. um, is currently sitting with me as I am shoulding that we should talk about the body first, like get straight into it, straight about the body versus asking the person as we did today. Um, how are you? Yeah. yeah the mm-hmm. house of it. Um, so thanks for that. I've been already thinking about that, but that's kind of really sitting there for me. Mm, mm-hmm. Journal prompt here. Here's my journal prompt.
2: I feel like Mm. that's true curiosity because it's like we're skipping a step because why is Mm. a secondary question? Don't you have to know like what the situation is before you can Mm. explore why things
1: are? Yes.
0: Hmm. 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 I'd love to talk about the second half of our podcast title. What does the rest of us mean to you? How do you identify within the rest of us? We'd also love for you to share your pronouns and identify your privileged identities and context here as
1: well.
2: Yeah, my pronouns are she, her. Um, and I actually really loved that y'all put this question in the middle rather than at the beginning because I I like that it, it changes the bias of like, I'm hearing a voice. What does it mean? Um, and invites you to be curious about that versus you know what are the like categories this person falls in um
1: Ooh. oh I hadn't thought of that and
0: now I'm really glad we did too me too and I've been questioning should we put it toward the beginning of the me episode too. because
1: I go ahead and we talked about this okay that thank you for that <laughs> just how it kind of just kind of here we go not even not even at all um I love that. And actually at the second you said that, I was like flashing back and I was like, yeah, it is. I do like that. It is, it's adding context to something that's already there versus like painting all the context and all of the preconceived notions that people can get about that too, that you get to have space before these things are laid there. I mean, I wish I'd done that on purpose. I would love to say that, but no, I didn't. <laughs> no, 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 We We didn't. We did I'm not. so proud no. of us. Yeah. <laughs> Look huh. at us potentially doing something that we really love right now <laughs> <You're on it. laughs> that
0: sounds like us <laughs> that does sound like us
1: uh, No,
2: even if it wasn't conscious I'm like I think there's a wisdom there because mm. the reason that stood out to me is because this is the question I was most nervous to answer and I assumed it would be uh. at the front and so I was asked if y'all asked me to state identities if I could do it at the end or later in the interview
0: uh. I okay. would go uh, yeah. hot dog
2: Okay, <laughs> and part of that is because I think this is a concept again that I'm like studying from an intellectual level, but that doesn't necessarily feel authentic to how I think about myself, necessarily. Um, and again, I think just like embodiment in that concept, it's reparative, right? Like we have to name these things because of the challenges that there have been. Um, but inherently, I don't necessarily like think like, okay, so I'm black. Um, she, her, cisgendered, um, and I think I'm an immigrant. I am. This is hard because I really, it's hard for me to think of these like descriptors unless they're prompted. Um, mm. when I think about describing myself, I think like, oh, this is my job or like, this is what mm-hmm. I like. To do. Um, yeah. And. I have a lot of privileges as well. I grew up with um, really educated parents and folks who valued education, um, financially comfortable, and so. I guess I can pause there before going on to the the rest of the question. But does that feel like it answers everything? That's
0: fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. I, I guess. I guess. I mean, I definitely understand where you're saying that it's important to kind of name these as we're doing some healing in terms of explaining where, I'm I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember exactly what you said. What keeps coming to mind is, I don't know if you said the word, but challenges we've had, but I think it's also important to name our privileges in that we can acknowledge that we didn't have challenges in certain ways. But what I was really going to ask is, why do you think they don't come up for you kind of Mm. inherently? Just wondering.
2: Well... I guess it's kind of like how fish don't see the water they're swimming in. Mm. Like you don't really name something that feels inherent to you. Um, But then once you start to like, like when someone says, oh, there's water, you're like, oh yeah, water. Okay. I know what that is now. And so I can like repeat that. Um, But I think that's part of it. And really I've only been in this kind of sector of dietetics for the last like three or three ish years. Mm-hmm. And so, even being introduced with identities is very, is like a newer concept. And so, I think that's the other thing we put it simply is like a learning curve mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and of learning. Like, what's important? What are people trying to understand when they're trying to understand your identity? And how is that information influencing them and their thought process, me and my thought process? Yeah. Mm. Okay
0: you.
2: Yeah. Great question. Great answer. Great. and Great. Um, and so when I think about like the rest of us in terms of what that would mean to me, I always use this example when talking about body image of like, I think when people think body image on an introductory concept, the picture that flashes across my mind is just like someone in any body size, standing on a beach in a bikini, like doing a calendar photo shoot and like loving their life. And so I feel like for most people, when I give that example, they're like, oh yeah, no, that's not a, that's not what I really think for my body image story or vision. And so I think for the rest of us, it's about decommercializing what embodiment and being in your body and being happy in your body might look like and mean. Um, and so I think it means everything outside of like that stereotypical image of this is what body positivity or what body satisfaction looks like, um, mm-hmm. for most of us, for the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also think about the different ways that body positivity has been you know co-opted in certain spaces around Mm -hmm. really cherry-picking the the threshold for what is acceptable for body Mm. acceptance and so I think it's really it also strikes me as everyone who falls outside of that so you know outside of the folks who are like okay I have like took a picture of this one stretch mark and that's okay. And I think that's awesome. Like that is okay. And what about all the folks who are like, I got tiger stripes. Um, Is it okay for them to flaunt it too? I think that's who I think of with the rest
0: of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I love this title so much that um, we have. It's not just those who live outside the stereotypical body norm it's about all of those outside the norms right like the black bodies the queer bodies the neurodiverse bodies or neurodivergent I'm sorry I, I want to make sure I'm saying the right term Jen I
1: don't know so I've heard both, both and I good. just want
0: to be <laughs> um I've heard Nikki Haggett says she preferred one over the other so I was just trying to make sure that I was um sensitive um and then I can't even remember which one she said so, I never can't either. Uh, I'm so sorry yeah <laughs> I'll read the email, um, but different bodies, right? I think that there's body diversity, of course, but body, outside of body norms. So it's important, to, but we like talking about all of the rest of us-ness. Yeah.
1: So Kimber, you said the rest of us is actually most of us. I love mm-hmm. that framing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Siobhan, just now when you were talking, it is um, a societal norm is a standard, which was once an ideal, right? These yes. things kind of get collapsed inside of each other and they just seem like a totally normal thing. But at one point it was not normal at all. Correct. Um, And currently our norm does not look like most of us in the entire planet. I've heard all sorts yeah. of different numbers for this. It's like 0.5% or 5% or who knows, this actually meets this ideal that, that we're all not in. Um, and when we're talking about identities and privileges and what feels challenging and what we're born into and like all these kind of like layered nuances of life, um, there are, why does my brain want to say the word elite? There are people who are considered elite, just like they're mm-hmm. considered ideal or the norm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like self-identifying as the ideal or the elite doesn't make any sense to my brain for me for most of us. Um, and I was just really, it's not really hearing it's more like feeling, but what I was feeling when you were, when you were talking about that, and I was thinking earlier about, um, you're not special. And I was just thinking so many of us are not special. So many of us are deserving of compassion and attention and kindness and, um, uncollapsing of bullshit and like I was just like, we're not special. The rest of us. Um, I got chills again, head to toe. Um, and I was just, I, I just, I just have to say, wow. I'm kind of in like one word spots today, which is very interesting to me. But wow. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, I think that.
2: That idea that there is a norm is like in the same vein for me as should, right? That inevitability. Mm-hmm. And it's odd because the truly inevitable thing is diversity. Um like there isn't really a norm. And I my favorite example of this is I'm like, go outside, go <laughs> do to any mall, truly look at the bodies passing by. Mm-hmm. You are not going to see one type of person. You're just not and that's always such a good experience I think to really just like look around because I think our brain's shortcut, right and everyone's just a blur walking by and maybe we're you know picturing everyone's just like the same cookie cutter but when you really look it's like no there's most of us
1: are very different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. inevitability
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 It's very interesting how calming to my brain you are, Kimber. <laughs> it's really <laughs> wonderful. Um, you you are an invitation to try on something very expansive. Mm-hmm. All these things that you're talking about mm-hmm. and it feels really good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And I like, am chomping at the bit, so to speak, to share this. That's already a strong feeling that I have.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like
2: I can always tell when I'm with other people on like the neurodivergent spectrum. So I feel like it's like my brains tuning into the same like radio station.
0: <laughs> it's <Ooh>. very <gasps> Okay, I love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and uh, to take that analogy on. Uh, being in conversation with other people, it feels like I'm tuning into their radio station and not the other way around. And I really love that. I very much feel like we're tuned into the same radio station. Ooh, nice. It's like a kind of collective embodiment Yeah. to do that.
2: Mm. I think that I never knew what that was until I got diagnosed with ADHD, but like, I can just feel differently like sitting with different people or even how they would speak. I'd be like, just like the sense of calm, it's like they're going on a different track, and you're like, I know this is going to come back around. Um, And I think that is who a lot of the rest of us are are people on mm-hmm. t- all along the different ranges of the neurodivergent spectrum. Because I think when we don't have that, we feel like we're out of frequency with people. And I think a lot of us would turn to our body to be the solution, getting on that same
1: station oh. because we have no idea like what's different. Here. I think it feels off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. A search for belonging that has to do with why and should. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Okay. The next question that I want to ask is a big question. And even the way that it is here is like very wordy. <laughs> so I'm going to try. Um it's like five
0: lines long. I love it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, And I think it's important to put our conversation in context as we feel comfortable um, and just get real, be honest that, I mean, we already are, but I mean, like just on a, on yet another level, we're on a lot of levels today, but like yet another level, does that feel okay to you to, to move into that space? Totally. Okay. We are curious about your take on intuitive eating and or health at every size um, and the current state of those modalities and conversations, especially so right now it is April 2022. So this is especially considering the events of the last couple months with the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Evidence Analysis Library um, edition, sh- shall we say, related to um, saying that haze was not appropriate. I'll summarize it that way. Um, and the health at every size haze books, author, and and their harm of fat, black, brown, indigenous, and people of color and others. Um, where do they continue to fall short intuitive eating and health at every size, or how can they be expanded to honor their roots and reduce harm and take your time? Really? I've gone big. hmm
2: ooh, you know what? I love I love thinking about this. I feel like that was the first thing that came up for me when um, our boss kind of shared an update on what was going on because I'm not always super plugged in. And my first reaction was excitement um, mm. because revolution always starts with pushback, you know? Um, and I think that people like it's validity that's being lent to the fact that these could be helpful concepts going forward because otherwise why would the academy spend time addressing it um and so i find that very exciting and inspiring and also kind of a clue of going in the right direction when there's resistance and, um to change and so i think this is an exciting time to talk about those concepts and i also think that these like ideals and supremacy about objectivity and absolutism are sneaking in to the conversation because now I think sometimes we swing the other way and we go, can I even use the phrase intuitive eating or the phrase help at every size? And I feel like that is, I think, I think I get the sentiment behind the caution. And I also wonder if we can do things differently. Something has a name. Does that mean you have to follow the 10 steps of intuitive eating? Mm -hmm. Or can I introduce that as a concept? Um, Mm -hmm. What does that mean for you? Same with health at every size. And like, when I think of it, I don't necessarily think of a specific book or set of rules, but I think, what does this concept sound like to a person? And part of this is probably like my procrastination brain working for me a little bit, but I haven't necessarily read in depth, like some of those different materials. And so I didn't have like a full concept of like, okay, this is exactly how it has to be. So when I talk mm. about because I am talking about them from my own perspective.
0: Mm.
1: I'll pause there, but. Yeah. Mm. So. Okay, maybe this is my analytical side. I don't know, but I was just I was just sitting with um I have um rather obsessively read all the the materials um <laughs> immediately upon becoming a counselor, did not want to follow a rubric of sorts, but to like honor whatever my clients intuition spoke of and all of that. Um, This is very strange. This is like I'm actually picturing an image from the Intuitive Eating book, fourth edition, on page one fifty one. Like I have a very, I know exactly the page number. It's called the hub of intuitive eating, and it's satisfaction at the very center. Like for you two, because seriously, I look at this all the time. It's the way I ground myself. Looks like that. For everyone mm-hmm. listening, I'm showing them the hub. It's all 10 principles or nine around satisfaction. And I would put a different word here. I would put pleasure here. It centers pleasure. Um, I mean, it takes a while of getting into this book, but this page is like a revelation for me. I actually bought another copy of this book so that I could incorporate everything around this graphic and think about it so that it could be uh, all these analogies you're coming up with today, Kimber. I wanted an analogy, like a hub. I love that as an analogy. I love it as a spinning wheel. I love lots of things about this, but like, how can this be expanded? How can this be expansive? Um, It was very generous to what you were saying about the generosity that you were giving yourself and I was really hearing, like you said your procrastination brain. I was like, oh, well my analytical brain is like, I better read it all so that I could throw most of it out or whatever whatever the thing is, right? Take what I need, leave the rest, take what clients need, leave the rest. Um, and I'm sort of sitting with both of those, that image came to mind sitting between those two spaces. Like there's a whole bunch of space between that. Um, mm-hmm. And how intuitive eating is often described as a privilege, like if you were to read every word and like follow things in the order that they is claimed, there is no order, but like in order, um, that it can feel very contained. So what I was hearing and what you were saying is what if it's not, What if it's not contained? And that really spoke to me. And I was thinking of that, like, you can watch everything expand from the center. It doesn't have to be pleasure at the center. It's just what happens to be on that graphic. But I was just, I'm looking for things that feel expanded or expansive, or I often use the word beyond, like beyond intuitive eating. Like, what does it get you? What's in that beyond? Um, Mm -hmm. if you read this and were like, I reject everything, what's in that beyond? Right? What's in the beyond? So I love that.
2: You know, I have, um, it's not so much a secret, but sometimes I do judge a book by its cover. I sometimes call it my osmotic learning library because some of the titles, like laziness does not exist or health at every size, I'm like, I agree, done. I'm like, I learned everything I need to know from that. And I do plan to do that things, but Mm -hmm. I think of it the same way I might think of like a religious text is how do you honor the spirit of the words than
1: the letter of it? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it does allow for a lot more expansion. Mm -hmm. And not absolutism. I currently can't think of the opposite of that, but that was sitting there in the same space for me.
2: Yeah. What an ironic example that there would have to be an opposite of absolutism. that's so funny uh yes mm-hmm. um you know I also think too though about if, like if we're talking specifically about like intuitive eating the book the health at every size of the book these parallels that I've seen with like colonization as a process
0: yes mm-hmm.
2: oh, fuck yes mm-hmm. like <laughs> is something coming up for you oh just fuck yes that
1: was what was coming up
2: <laughs> it's like it's such an interesting pattern because you know it starts with one thing that is new and novel and different and rebellious and it goes through these different chains um then gets put out there and distorted in these ways that are like really more for devaluing and discrediting. Mm-hmm. and then also sometimes gets repackaged in a way that is more acceptable to a colonizer and I'm like mm. we see this all over place. The- <laughs> one of my favorite examples is sugar mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. like
2: even the idea of sugar I think that I'm like look at how much work went into enslaving millions of people <laughs> to produce sugar because there was greed And then after a while, starting to get upset about that, wanting to rework it, demonize it, Mm -hmm. make it the only thing you hear about. And then now it's like moves into different acceptability. And so Mm -hmm. I always feel organization holds up a very strange mirror and parallels. And I think with intuitive eating and health at every size, we see the same thing. Like it starts with the rest of us Mm -hmm. and then it's co opted. And that doesn't mean that there can't be. that it's not for everyone i just think that this idea of needing to shoehorn it into an acceptable mm. set of rules feels very disaligned with the spirit
1: of those seeds
0: mm-hmm.
1: Oof. yeah very red my brain is mm-hmm. saying holy fuck absolutely mm-hmm. um and i've had the i've had thoughts like this there's something about the way that you phrase that that my brain was like that I and Siobhan mm-hmm. had a look on her face too so you get those listening can't see but I was like pointing at Siobhan because I was like that face that face is what I'm feeling that that, that is, is exactly face. yeah that's exactly what I'm feeling um yes the rest of us originated these concepts and not just like fat activism of the 40s 50s and 60s which is what a lot of the conversation surrounds mm-hmm. ancient origin native mm-hmm. seeds places Mm -hmm. where this has come Mm -hmm. from it's like it's like with everything with supremacy which includes all of westernized medicine um where it's like oh complementary and alternative medicine aka what everyone but white people does let's turn it into a journal and let's peer review it Mm -hmm. so we're like 30-ish years into that Mm -hmm. um and they're like oh these things are legitimate now And I'm like, they've always been legitimate. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) None -hmm. of this needed to be done. You just needed to listen Mm -hmm. to and believe people and ask them what it means for them and what it does for them. And that needed to be it. Mm -hmm. Um, Not devaluing lived experience as a form of colonization is something I think about all the time. Yes. Um, And I was just hearing how you were humanizing those things by talking about the seeds. That's what's sitting for me from that. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of Jen and I talk about this all the time, but the take what you need and leave the rest of almost everything. But um, <laughs> thinking yes, about intuitive certainly. eating, <laughs> thinking of intuitive eating and health at every size, and I love that concept because my eating disorder brain is like all or nothing, black and white, all day long, all everything, yes. anything, everything. That's why there's so much gray in my life, like just constant reminders of gray in my life because it's so easy to fall into that especially when it comes to your eating. And I, I like that. That's why I intentionally practice taking what I need and leaving the rest because it, because if I don't, everything becomes a diet. Like literally every way of eat, everything I eat becomes a diet. So I love that. I love that concept. I also like that you're excited about what's happening. I feel uh, like Jen. I, I d- want to get there. <laughs> it, yeah, I'm really hoping because I take many breaks from social media. Like it makes me, I just can't. And then I come back and I'm on for an hour and I'm just deep diving, like deep into shit. And I'm like, oh, I hate this. I'll be back in a week. So I'm really hoping that I get to a place where I'm excited about what's coming next because right now it just feels like a lot of weariness right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best word because there's so much infighting. There's so much (sighs) infighting and one-up personship at the same time. So I'm hoping that we find a way to move forward as a community or not a community, as a movement, whatever, Um, and repair some harm and also dismantle as much as possible.
1: And reclaim. Something in what you just said is like, you can speak for me and so beautifully you summarize exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) And there's so much of this infighting and everything that the, the people who are continuing to be centered are the people who were already doing harm. And what you have said, what you have shared Kimber, I'm like, that's right. Right. It's just like, we are talking about embodiment. Like, why do we have to peel off all the layers of harm? Why can't we just look at the seed? Um, I kind of mm. needed that Colin, my brain loves drama Same. and centering Same. the wrong people. Right. It's like a really good TV show. Um, and these are real people, real lives. And I don't want to do that. I just, we all have that tendency. It's a form of survival for human beings to know what's going on over there drama wise absolutely um, and to be able to sit in a different space that is severed from the drama in a way um is feeling really important so i feel refreshed by that yes um i can, can be with that versus doing something about that and that feels like a place to to sit for me
0: I appreciated <laughs> that call in too, because as much as I hate it, I'm still there with the popcorn, reading it. And I'm like, by the end, I'm like, oh, I hate this, but my popcorn's done, so I'll be back.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: so, <laughs> I love that being present for it without <sighs>
1: getting
0: a, all it's wrapped just up.
1: It's a really honest space you've created around yeah. this, Kimber, and I just really appreciate that. I love the
0: honoring of the roots um, and acknowledging how. Steeped all of this stuff can be in not steeped, how it's been co-opted to what did you, shoehorn it to make it comfortable for the colonizer. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I need to write that down. I'm gonna get it tattooed somewhere. I love it. I, not really, but I love it. I love it. It really reminded me of the of the true roots of it, not what it looks like now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and we have to remember that that's part of supremacy is that legitimacy is in the eyes of the colonizer. And that's yeah. part of why slaves were allowed to write because if you write something down, then someone can prove it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's so important to keep our thoughts of. And I also think it's important to name for me that I do have reverence when I think about these things um, mm-hmm. for the weariness and for the parts that are harmful to people um yeah. and I feel like it can hold reverence and excitement
0: have y'all ever seen wayne? Yes oh, yes, yeah. yes. Oh my gosh. okay so live in the movies uh, all of it same. i don't want to talk about the movie version but it's never right <laughs> me neither <laughs> it's okay it's it like that kind of controversial
2: podcast <laughs> but i think of the y'all remember the song red and black from mm-hmm. the, Mm-hmm. So that's the energy I get. You know, all of those folks—they're so excited about the revolution to come in the morning. They are also know they're talking about people being hurt and probably still yes. their brothers around them, dying yes. away. And I have that
0: energy that comes. Mm. About this. That is really powerful.
1: I have a playlist that is only that song. And (laughs) I, because from the movie version, I love what's his name, Aaron, whatever his name is. Um, I listen, that's the only one I like from the movie version, but I listen to it when I need to have a little revolution. I never thought. I love it. I love
0: it. That's really, oof, knowing that there's there's this dichotomy, there's this dynamic, there will be, to dismantle, there will be some people getting hurt. I don't mean like physically, but being people called out, being people being called in, it's just, it's just the nature. Yeah. Mm. I'm also feeling really mad because of something that you said, not that you said it, but something <laughs> that you said, <laughs> pull that back. Like the idea of like how things are shoe. I've been like sitting with this. It's like marinating this whole time, mm. the shoehorning of things for the colonizer and how, people remain the rest of us because we can't keep up. Right. So maybe we'll find, like, like you said, maybe with sugar, maybe we'll finally get to a place as a society where we're doing this and they're like, Oh, we're going to flip it. Just like that makes me think of breastfeeding, how it's a classist, racist, all of the stuff around breastfeeding. And either you're a bad mom because you formula feed or you're a bad mom because you breastfeed. And as soon as, more people are doing it, immediately it changes to rich white people feeding their children the opposite way. And then you have to, and then we're just keep it, we're just continuously trying to catch that. And I think that this process has to be stopping that. Like, this is what I'm doing, this is embodiment for me. This is who I am, regardless of the societal norms are.
2: Yes, oh my gosh, that's bringing up so much for me. I was thinking about Nestle, as you said that. Yes. Yes. And like how they went into communities, normally foreign communities, poor communities. And were like, this is bad for you,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> the
2: future baby from our formula. And I think that that's something to really consider is the fact that like a lot of what we now are trying to reclaim is about undoing the idea that you need external validation, external instruction. In order to be um because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like everything you're naming it's it's all of us looking outside of ourselves and that's why I'm like oh is that not embodiment like at its core is starting to listen to that internal compass and honor that it would it would make sense that your feelings would be signals of what you need or that
0: you can mm-hmm. start to
2: trust them and it's so hard to return inward from that
0: yeah mm. yeah Ooh, I got all worked up talking about that. I could like Ooh, I feel
1: heat. I feel, <laughs> I feel rage. Heated. Um, yes. You're both Freaking speaking. Nestly. Yes, you're both speaking to denial as one of the yeah. primary agents of supremacy. Um a thing it took my brain totally unaware of my privilege at first and then really trying to sit in it to really get how much denial is all around white conversations white spaces especially white women socializes female mm-hmm. problem 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 because even in what you're saying the way that um denial is working in these situations we're talking about and like being disembodied which is also what mm-hmm. you're talking about is every time you can someone who has been the rest of us oppressed pushed down in this situation catches up
0: mm-hmm.
1: we didn't talk about that right i was actually yeah. thinking of the phrase fed is best and that was making me angry because it used to be mm. quote unquote breast is best
0: mm-hmm. that's how
1: they used to get you and now mm-hmm. if fed is best any way to look or to perceive someone else like they might not be feeding appropriately whatever that looks like a much Ooh. bigger denial it's like escalating right mm-hmm. um, ugh, i'm so angry makes me a much <laughs> makes a much bigger denial umbrella and mm-hmm. everything under that is total shit like what yeah. you both were also and i mean like the 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 policy the reasonings behind it right it's made up well i mean everything is And i say that is, the-
0: is best all the time and that's really sitting with me I when I'm talking about feeding children so or babies rather so I'm really sitting with that I'm just
1: realizing how big the umbrella got and that made Mm -hmm. me really mad because I was like oh finally we're getting it but I'm realizing no we don't me white people we don't that's what I really mean right here um right me I'm always an agent of that so I'm really saying we and me because I want to be really conscious especially when I listen back to this and I want to own this and sit with this which Um, I always appreciate but thank you thank you um Mm -hmm. I have like a different kind of tingle because it makes me super uncomfortable but that's okay okay. I'm okay with being uncomfortable because, um, it's nothing, right. It's just a little discomfort. It's not anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not special. I think that's such an important thing to say in all sorts of moments. Um, and something else in that, when you were talking about the limits song, um, black and red, right? Some people are going to be harmed in this as a way you could look at this. I actually was like, okay, so from a not supremacist space, some people are going to have to get really, really, really uncomfortable, like really, really, really uncomfortable. They're going to have to give up their um, power, author of health at every size. They're going to have to give up their power, authors of intuitive eating. Um, these can be amazing people, Some of them are quote unquote amazing people, right? And they also have to give up their power because they already took it from someone else and they didn't ask their permission. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm feeling really angry. I'm feeling very fired up. I'm feeling... I'm actually have to slow my brain down here a little bit because I'm thinking of all sorts of ways in which dietetics is using the denial as an agent of white supremacy, um, eating disorder treatment centers, people who work in clinical work um, and talk about the harm they already did, like these kinds of spaces Mm -hmm. Um, I just want the harm to reduce and we can't get there if we're in this like bubble denial of who gets to define what fed is in fed is best, who gets to Mm. decide what recovery is, what treatment is, what, what relapse is right. coping, like who gets to decide these things. It's all of that is under this umbrella of white supremacy. So I'm raging, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just raging. That's where I'm sitting. I <laughs> Sorry that. to throw my anger at you both. I'm just <laughs> I was yelling before, so it's okay, fine. Okay. I was like, I'm not gonna talk about breastfeeding. I <laughs> can feel my volume.
2: Yeah. Same, same. I feel like that anger is so valuable. It's yeah. So valuable. Um it's one of those things I think embracing that anger can be really valuable. That's like the revolution part, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In you, like even when you describe like I, mean, I love diving in on this drama I know that we have to kind of self parent a little bit about how much excitement but I'm like that's an instinct you can follow there's a mm-hmm. reason we're drawn to them mm-hmm. and that denial of how we feel is part of how we got here and yes so I think about the ideas of like power and who holds it right now. And honestly, I uh, I think denial is one of the things that's keeping us blocked. Like we know it's a big, it's the enemy of change, denial. Um, And I, I'm Agreed. like, honestly, I don't really, If even if the author of Health at Every Size didn't want to give up their power, I'm like, well then just admit you're a monarch, admit you like power and that's okay. Like that still gives people a space. Move forward. It's about denying that that's true, that that's the problem. Because you <sighs> know why I'm so stuck on lame is, but I'm like, if the king the whole time was like, I'm not
1: the king, like that wouldn't make sense. This doesn't <laughs> make any
0: sense, right? Are Absolutely,
1: because they are. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, for those not looking, I'm touching my nose, and I was <laughs> doing all sorts of other contorted things with my face and my hands because I was like, that's right. Just Ooh, admit that you're the monarch. Just admit. Mm-hmm. I would prefer that. I can work with that. <laughs> you know it. You know?
2: We know
0: it. Right. Right. Wow.
2: Really be holed up in your castle and think, I'm not that monarch. I'm the person of the streets when you're not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> we know you're not. <laughs> That's why we're out here and you're in there. <laughs> and I think that's all kinds of privilege, right? Like, I have to admit that I have educational privilege. I have whatever privilege. You have to be willing to admit it for any change to occur. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh.
2: How can you wield and direct that power according yes. to these values if you don't even acknowledge that you have it?
0: Correct. Correct.
2: Oh, shit.
0: Yep. Can I ask a question? Yes,
2: you can. Okay, I just thought, I was thinking about something you said earlier, Siobhan, where you said, like, with eating, you have that black or white thinking as part of it. Have you noticed other characteristics of supremacy show up in your eating story?
0: Damn, that's Oh, awesome. shit, I wasn't ready for that. Um, shit. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, bouncing, so I know I'm excited. <laughs> yes, fuck, um, uh, yes. Uh, there is, some moral stuff around eating animals for sure I was vegan for a really long time that I wasn't that I was that I wasn't that I wasn't that I wasn't and um I'm not now and there's also there's this you asked about white supremacy right yeah like I'm
2: yeah. thinking of the char- like the cultural characteristics of supremacy like that there's one right way to do things or correct right mm-hmm. thinking you know carnalism, stuff like that. Just was yes.
0: just. Purity culture. Mm. Purity culture is definitely what I, I am comfortable eating what feels right for me right now, but there's a purity culture of, well, if you're eating animals, then you're no good anyway. So, and which leads to other kind of behaviors and a lot of guilt. Um, I would say there's that, that's the biggest one. Um, all of the things that kind of come with privilege right the privilege of being able to cook my own food to shop wherever i want to shop to um because i have that time and i have that financial privilege so that plays into the black and white thinking a lot so if i happen to get takeout then everything's a wash and then i'm into other behaviors pretty quickly yeah
1: mm. Mm.
0: yeah not as it's much as i mean more in the past but this it still pops up every once in a while for sure
1: yeah mm. it's everywhere how could it not be this condition thing? Yeah.
0: And the supremacy culture of, well, I've never been diagnosed with something, so I definitely don't have it. But I I mean, there is literally no way that I do not have an eating disorder. Like there's literally no way in my life, but it's never been diagnosed. And it's like, well, if I'm not living up to, you know, if I haven't been diagnosed by, you know, by the DSM or whatever, I don't, that's not true. And that I think people know themselves and that's a evidence-based bullshit. <laughs> my husband and his ADHD. There is no way <laughs> my husband doesn't have it. Um, and he's very clear on that, but you know, it's, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm just babbling now. Cause I get really uncomfortable talking about well, myself and I'm really exactly. sweaty.
1: <laughs> I appreciate this so much, you know, um, and it really relates yeah. to the next question you're going to ask Siobhan. Um, and when we get diagnosed with something from a supremacist lens, <clears throat> neurodivergence is considered and is a disability yes. and things can be denied because of disability so mm-hmm. the power of a diagnosis that is quote-unquote official can also take away power at a later point mm. um there's many, many examples of this, but just thinking about like, if someone has autism, that they can have surgery denied because they're not mentally capable of making quote unquote, according to the DSM, according to their official diagnosis to make a decision that big. And so it will be denied on that grounds by their insurance company. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the most that's the closest one to my brain. Cause I'm still angry. Um, but there are lots of other examples that are smaller than that, but not less significant, just more everywhere. Um, right. And the validity of self-diagnosis is also sitting, you know, Siobhan, what you were talking about and the book sick enough, which I recognize is written by a white cis woman, um, mm-hmm. opens up. What if we decolonize, this mess? Not, that's not what they Mm. said. That's what that, I think that kind of conversation opens up. Um, What if any negative effect on your life is sick enough? What if the system and structures that go with the diagnosis cause more harm than self-diagnosis and being outside of them Um, would all be coming up against supremacy? So that beautiful question, that Oh, I want to think about that question and your answer. I wrote it
0: down so I can journal like for the next six hours about it because I don't, that was what came off the cuff. I don't know what else is going to pop up for me, but that Mm. was woof. That like in the pit of my stomach went, Oh, Oh, I don't like this Mm. (laughs) in a good way. But, and the grief of acknowledging how, no matter the work I've done all my, you know, most of my life or what I am involved in, how it seeps in. Constantly that supremacy culture for all of us, right? And how I've let it dictate certain things. Oh my Lord.
1: <laughs> oh my know. gosh. Such a beautiful question. And it's, <laughs> you know, when I name myself as an agent of supremacy, I also say that so that I can think about myself in a different context as an, an agent of change or um an agent of something else, right? How am yeah. I being supremacist in my sessions with clients? And how do I stop yes. doing that right now? Mm. um feels really important yeah sitting in that space because supremacy is all over an eating disorder I mean it's everywhere I can't think of one place that it hasn't touched in that actually to be honest nothing comes to mind I'm not sure I will be able to think of one. (gasps)
0: yeah
2: so internalized and I want to apologize I'm sorry if I put you on the spot with that question no but, it's
0: fine uh, it's fine I love putting people on the spot myself so it's fine it's same. turn about his <laughs> fair play Turnabout about his fair play <laughs> I was just like damn I don't I don't want that <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I even heard more like of that internalization as you answered because even this idea of like need a diagnosis, I think of like worship of the written word and legitimacy and how you know this need to be on paper is the thing that lends legitimacy, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily the way I think that most of us can allow ourselves to get help because it fosters that denial. And when you bring up the book Sick Enough, it's one concept I also like to kind of reframe and think, okay, sick enough is probably like, the concept of enough is a well. We move that goalpost. So are you well enough? And often the answer is no. Like, why do you need to be sicker to start to fit? Mm, Oh, shit.
0: Yes. I feel very called in right now. And it, it's okay. Like, it's fine. I just have lots to think about. That was really, oof, I can't sit still. Like, I just, I'm like bouncing in my chair. Um, It's wow.
1: This reminds me of the social determinants of health and how they should yes. really be called the social determinants of illness, right? Let's actually Absolutely. talk about the direction. Mm-hmm. And they mention race mm-hmm. there when they mean racism. Mm-hmm. Even in the tiniest little difference between the letter E and the ism is enough to add a veil where supremacy can still deny things, right? When it's kept as race and not as racism. Um, Because the people who wrote those damn documents are also agents of supremacy and the rest of the document has racism spewed all over it. I mean, it's all over that. It's all over it. Um, mm. I feel like that's textbook colonizer playbook,
2: right? It's name the problem that you created as the solution.
1: That's mm. exactly
2: it. Damn. It's just yes. like with eating disorders, I think, you know, you might notice, okay, I don't feel good. I just feel better. And it's like often you're feeling worse because of it.
1: Mm. Whoa. Yes. Oh let's create a problem and then let's get a bunch yeah. of funding and let's let's do this solution thing where we are the people who profit off of this. Yes. Um, think about that from a capitalist perspective and also from... A curiarchal perspective or a patriarchal perspective of oppression, um, we win off oppression is built into that, baked into that as well. Completely.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I was thinking about in terms of how you know the health and wellness conversations and the body image, body positivity conversations sometimes miss the mark is the way that those you know, those standards are set as universal expectations and all of this, what it keeps coming back to, is that there's, you know, one right way for it to be, which is another supremacy characteristic. And I was also thinking too about how now, I think we're in a moment of trying to counterbalance, um, again, bringing it back to that, because within our practice, we do a lot of great work around, you know, not everyone is going to expect to love their body. Like maybe that's not for everyone. Um, yeah. And I also sometimes think that in that swing, one thing I noticed when we might be missing the mark on is setting the bar too low for what's possible. Um, and I get—I think a lot of it is in trying to reduce like the shame or the expectation of what people's body image journey is. But sometimes I don't think we allow that that growth can change that someone who today might say the best thing I could do is just get to a place of with my body might this time next year think, no, I think I could maybe start to feel confident in my Mm. and I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Are there ways that we're setting the bar low that's also kind of upholding these systems of like, don't get too ahead of yourself? (laughs) Hmm. Damn. Hmm.
1: Yeah, And, you know, when we think about the context of eating disorder recovery, and I would also just say like burnout recovery, neurodivergent burnout recovery, um, uh, grief in the pandemic, like really big, big, big things that to have no change from one moment to the next is sometimes... The victory. The sometimes mm-hmm. just letting things be is what's most important. Yeah. No homework, mm-hmm. so to speak. I'm a mm-hmm. dietitian who doesn't give homework unless a client says, "I want some homework," and this is what I want. I go, "Great. See you next week. So tell me mm-hmm. about it." <laughs> right? It's like <laughs> nice to sit in a space where I am deciding what their homework, their change, their next step should be does not feel okay to me has never Mm. felt okay to me. And I've actually pulled back more about that over time because I can sense how uncomfortable I am with that compared to my education. Um, my socialization, um, as having the most privileged skin color, all of these things, um, that Mm. the thing I should do right. That, Oh, that's a Should I actually like the alliteration of that. I'm going to think about that. The supremacist should is you better push them through recovery. That's your job. Mm-hmm. But I don't think so. Um, sitting with people just like in conversation, like we are right now is like, I don't know. What's it like for you over and over and over again until we can sit and just be um, that was very easy today with us for me, actually, I just mm-hmm. am very much being with you all. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an incredible power of my brain right now to slow down, which is not usual for me. Um, even with lovely ADHD medication, that's just not how my brain responds to them. Um, and I want more of that because it's kind of uncomfortable to be so much, but mm-hmm. I want to do more of it. It's a good kind of discomfort.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I feel like grace enters the room when you have those
2: moments.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that word. I it's my that. favorite Thanks word. So it's like tattooed on my body, and I still forget it on a constant basis. I didn't know
1: that. <laughs> um <Yeah. we're> learning <laughs> things about each other. Um, so grace as a counterbalance to systems and structures and credentialism and power dynamics with professionals, quote unquote, and clinicians, quote unquote. Um, I love that grace as that you too. counterbalance. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so important. Okay. Last mm-hmm. question spot of the day. Um, we've talked a lot about really big, really small conversations, uh, perspectives. I mean um, today in this conversation, Kimber, what do you think we can all do to make a difference with what we've learned, sat with unlearned, gotten present to today? And what would you like everyone listening to know about what you're up to and where they can find you?
2: Well, I feel like one thing we can do is just keep talking and having these conversations because, you know, it's only vulnerability on the inside, but the second it comes out, it's courage and it allows for that grace. Um, and I think if more of us expected grace, which tends to happen more often than not, we probably wouldn't have such denial and such like a stronghold on trying to hold on to these powers that feel like the only place that's safe. And so I think continuing to talk, have space for the messiness of being human feels really important. Um, just like eating disorders and just like supremacy, I think a lot of that shame thrives in isolation. And the other thing I feel like is really important is to just constantly reassess your values and use that as the compass as you're starting to if you're working towards a re-embodiment and not always using external measurements as the validator of Am I doing okay? Or like what should I do here? Um body appreciation is probably the other thing that I would think could be accessible for a lot of people, even if that's just on a biology level. But I heard a podcast about how like humans couldn't run or walk if we didn't have butts. And I'm like something you don't even think about every day. Very true. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like those are kind of the big threes.
1: Like share. I now want to say you know earlier you were like Jen what about you and your legs going to the grocery store so now I'm like what about me and my butt (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry that was so beautifully wonderful and serious I guess I'm tapping into the silliness (laughs) you're not sharing
0: giggling is fantastic (laughs) how can we find you or can we find you out in the interwebs
2: no I'll find you um
0: (laughs) I love that so much. Yes, clearly getting that
1: silly. (laughs) It's a release, right? We've been sitting in a tense and important conversation. I'm feeling the release with you all. I really am. Yes.
0: Mm
2: um you can always look for side by that's the group practice that I work for I don't really have um social media but if I ever do I'll send you an Instagram I feel like I'm getting closer to probably getting one at some point because my dad keeps wanting to send me cat videos and he's like getting upset that he can't um <laughs> and <laughs> um but yeah that's kind of how someone can find me people can also email me I really I think often like lift as you climb and I love to share resources. And so if people are just to learn more, yeah, I'm always open for someone to just like pop in my inbox. Like someone reaches out to you guys. That's another place that I'm happy to get connected with folks.
0: Mm. Perfect. Perfect. Uh this has been lovely. We'd love to have you back sometime in the future. Really? would
2: oh, be awesome. Yes.
1: I would love to. I feel like that's Kismet. Kismet is one of my favorite favorite. My favorite words.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This was beautiful. This was just so lovely to meet you, and so lovely. Just, I've heard, like I said, I've heard nothing but good from june So I was really and now you know.
1: Now you know. I get it. Well, I now get it. So much, I totally do. <laughs> <laughs> so much.
2: Adore you. Yeah, I could. I don't. There's not enough time for the words of how valuable this felt. So,
1: I wish I could mm. hug you both. Full yeah. group hug. <laughs> <laughs> Our
2: hugs. oh this is great. Thank you both so much.
1: Thank you. Yes. yes.
0: Peace. Thank you so much. <laughs> All
1: right. Take care. Well, thank you, Kimber. Have a good rest of your day. You too. too. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to season two of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. Episodes will be published every two weeks ish because let's be real here, <laughs> wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com, and follow us on social media on both Twitter at Embodiment Us
1: and on Instagram at embodiment for the rest of us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation.